This is Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Walling. Thanks for joining me again this week. We have a bootstrapper news roundup where we look at Google ending work from home. We take a look at some founder salary data in North America, the UK, and Europe. And we talk about how to use email, at least according to a blog post I saw on Hacker News. It's got some interesting insights and ideas that we throw around, as well as... We talk a bit about Twitter and how they are now favoring the algorithmic timeline and almost kind of burying the reverse chrono timeline and how I didn't even really know that the reverse chrono timeline was still available. This was a fun episode to record. I had Tracy Osborne, the program director from Tiny Seed, and Anar Volset, my co-founder at Tiny Seed, back on the show as I have for the past many news roundups to hear their thoughts and opinions on the stories today. But before we dive into that, the third annual State of Independent SaaS report comes out next week. We're doing a live stream straight from MicroConf Growth in Minneapolis. So if you have not headed to stateofindiesass.com and entered your email to be notified, you should do that now because I'm going to be going through all kinds of cool findings from this year's report. We changed up almost a quarter of the questions. And we asked some differently. We're doing some different analysis. So this report is going to have new insights and findings. We also asked a bunch of sentiment questions about, as a founder, how are you feeling about hiring this year versus last? What do you think about no code? I don't know, we had five or six like that. Some really interesting data to share. And I hope you'll join me for the 30-minute live stream next week. Head to stateofindiesass.com to make sure you are notified. And with that, let's dive into our Bootstrapper News Roundup. My first panelist, the only person I know whose Twitter handle is a complete sentence, Tracy Osborne. Welcome to the show. That that completely threw me off. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) That was the goal. You want to tell folks your Twitter handle? Yeah, Tracy makes. (laughs) Tracy, it does indeed make. And my second panelist, the man with the most mispronounced Twitter handle on the planet, Anar Volset. That's right. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes, indeed. Before we dive into these awesome uh, news stories aimed at bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped startup founders, I want to do something with you that I think is fun. And it's something I discovered two days ago. I was on a call. I believe it might have been an interview with a, a tiny seat applicant, and they mentioned deal. Have you heard of Deal? It's D-E-E-L. Sure. And they're like, it's like kind of payroll and contract payments and all that stuff, or contractor payments. And somebody mentioned it and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to their website. I know they've raised a gajillion dollars. They've actually raised $629 million. So I said, I'm going to Deal.com. It's misspelled, right? So it's like, certainly they own the .com. So I want both of you to type in D-E-E-L.com. It's not porn, but <laughs> I, wa- I want to hear your reaction, but don't tell people what happens? Because I want every listener after you to go to deel.com. Wait, I oh, went wow. to what looks like, like I went to letsdeal.com. It re- redirected for me. Okay, so that's what it redirected? Yeah, it went from deal.com to letsdeal.com. It redirects to letsdeal.com. Did they hear you what complain about it? <laughs> so this is fascinating. I typed it in. D-E-E-L, because if you go to Google and type in deal URL or just type in deal, it goes to letsdeal.com. 
That's right, yeah. Right? That's what appears in Google. So that's their canonical homepage. Yeah. DEEL.com for me two days ago, and now today, it, it continues to go to a Rickroll, to YouTube, to Rick <laughs> Astley singing Never Gonna Give You Up. Are I you, just typed what? it in. Are you sure? Yeah. One of your kids didn't get into your, like, my, your host no, file? I, <laughs> Switch it out for you? It's so bizarre. I, told, I showed my kids last night, I'm actually going to disable my Wi-Fi. Come on, Wi-Fi, go down. Just to make sure. Um, but I went when I went through the other day, it did it. It may be cached at this point, right, at the router. I can only imagine if it, you know, it's on their end, there might have been a bug or something like that. Oh, that is so funny. It does go to. All right. So Rob is showing us his phone and his phone is showing YouTube Rickroll. So what? is someone trolling that? Like, does someone messing like with DNS? World's weirdest A-B test. Yes. So th what I wanted, <laughs> what I thought is that like a competitor had bought their DEEL.com and was just Rickrolling it, you know, had private, private domain uh, registration and, and had done it. And I wanted the two of you to see it and laugh and then have every, I wanted to do the biggest Rickroll I've ever done and have every listener go to <laughs> DEEL.com. So, well, now that it's out, you know, that, that everyone knows, I am curious for folks to go to DEEL.com where they are. And it's like, Am I the only person? Did I just hit it? Like, did they get hacked? And I hit it right at the point where it was a rickroll and then it's cached in my DNS now? That might be the thing. It's so bizarre. Mm -hmm. All right. Shall we get into some actual news stories? <laughs> so this uh, first one is that Google is ending work from home options for most of its Bay Area workers. And in fact, a bunch of the larger tech companies are doing that within the next month or so. And I had a tweet a couple weeks ago saying that I think this bodes well for bootstrappers that this is happening because that's always been one of the big advantages of being a bootstrapper is that you tend to do it remote and therefore you can hire people at reasonable salaries. I know that during COVID, obviously salaries like have gone crazy. So I'll kick it to you first, Tracy. Do you have agreeing or disagreeing thoughts on this whole concept? Well, it's like nature is healing. Yeah, <laughs> that whole mm. meme. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's completely unexpected. It was, it's unexpected to me for it to go back to this because, you know, looking in history pre-COVID, like Yahoo, they had this whole thing where they allowed people to be fully remote. And then Marissa Mayer, I believe, became the CEO and she took it away entirely and everyone had to go back to the office. And so there's this huge corporate inertia towards always being in person, being at the office. And COVID was an interesting experiment that they're an interesting time to see these companies, okay, trying out this other way of working. But, I, you know, it's, it's, just a couple of years of a strange time during a pandemic is not going to change that that overall large company corporate feeling of of being at the office is where people get work done. So it doesn't surprise me that these big companies are going back to these policies. I would love to see, and and it's not on here, but I want to see data in terms of overall somehow all the companies in the world, if there's going to be a, a percentage, like the the percentage of people who do part-time remote work or fully remote is going to stay higher than it was before. And I feel like that is a good thing. I don't expect big companies to ever go that direction just because it's so just the anti way the big companies work. So I'm not surprised by this, but what my hope is, is that overall COVID has kind of led people to kind of seen the light in terms of the advantages of having remote work. There have to be companies, a lot of companies that were against remote work and then did it 
because of COVID, shut down offices and are never going back. And I think that's what you're saying is like, you know, how many are out there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like Google, they have like their giant campuses. They have all these things that are around being in person. Uh, you know, there probably is some policies for people to work from home. I'm pretty sure that happened with my, my husband who's worked at Google had, had an ability to work from home every now and then. But their inertia towards working in the office is too strong for this to be a permanent effect, the, the, the fully remote to be permanent. What do you think, Anar? Is Tiny Seed going to set up a headquarters in Minneapolis and everybody's going to move here? Wait, I want you, that. You, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> in Minneapolis? Yeah. Why should it be in Minneapolis? It out there. Doesn't make yeah. sense. <laughs> Cost of living's lower. It's if I could get a portal so I could work in person two days a week, I would absolutely do that for Tiny Seed, but I wouldn't want to do it five days a week. Yep. I think that's just, I think that's the thing. Like I think you know I think the ideal what people are saying is they want to do you know two three days a week in person and then two days you know at home. I think the challenge for big companies is well, how are you going to pull that off? Like in terms of now you're going to have empty office space like you know fifty percent of the time. I think that's probably the main challenge. I'm also curious like to play devil's advocate a little bit like on the sort of bootstrap side we're always like it's the best to work from home work from home. I'm also curious whether some of these bigger companies have actually started to, to do some serious analysis of their own productivity and whether they've actually found out that, you know, this is crap <laughs> for whatever the culture that we built before COVID, whatever happens, isn't as productive when we go to remote. And, and like fundamentally, I don't think there's anything inherent with being, a, you know, a, an in-person company versus a remote company. But I think if you're built from the from start to be in-person, then I can I can totally see how some of these companies find that, yeah, productivity has gone down and that's not good for them. So, I mean, it also depends on the team, right? Because I feel that developers can probably work better at, as fully remote because they're at their home. They're not in these open office plans, having all these distractions. They have that deep work time to work on code. Whereas folks who are more on the marketing side of things, where there maybe have to be more meetings, more in-person time, like trying to work fast, ask someone a question, like that kind of stuff, where they would be losing productivity from being separated from their coworkers. Yeah. The in-person stuff is designed for collaboration, right? It's like, if you don't have self-motivated people, or if you need a lot of collaboration. And sometimes I think you're, you're on dev teams where you can go and code for weeks and not need to do a bunch of collaboration. And then there are points where you do need to design or architect a new system. And that's when you need to be in front of a whiteboard. That's where like the best work arrangement that I've ever had was what we had in Fresno with Drip. And it was two or three days a week. And we all decided, well, let's all come in on, I forget, it was like Monday, Wednesday, and then Friday was optional or something like that. And we put all of our collaboration on those two days and then all of our deep work the other days. But, you know, I hired really motivated people who were just super, I'll just say super loyal to the company. Like I didn't, they weren't going to go home and screw around, you know, versus I have worked at a company that had a couple days, it was two days a week were remote and there were several hundred employees and there were definitely people who were just taking the company for a ride. And I don't know if that's inevitable at scale. Like, I don't know if that's just always what happens. Some people just can blend into a team and kind of not pull their weight, but kind of, right? Well, wasn't there this, wasn't there this story about this guy who worked at like Verizon or something and basically just outsourced his job and then like the only way they found it was with a security scan because there was an outbound VPN 
connection to China or somewhere that never <laughs> went down. Like, you know, there's all in big enough companies, there's always going to be that situation. I was, I was going to bring up Silicon Valley, but that's a real life version. Yeah, yeah. People no, sitting on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds, Rob, it sounds like we should all move to Fresno. That's what you're proposing here. Have an office in Fresno. Yeah, you got to you got to live within 20 miles of uh, 20 downtown miles. Fresno. Really. I mean, so that was the issue is that since we did have, once you have one day in an office, then everybody needs to live within a 60 minute drive in essence. And as we continued to hire, by the time we hit 10 people, half the team was in Fresno and half was not. And they were remote because I couldn't find great, whatever, great marketers, great, more great developers or couldn't afford them at the time. And so we did become a half remote, half not. And that, that was definitely posed some challenges with communication. Next story is about what do startup founders pay themselves? And there is a new report from Seed Camp where they have a relatively small sample size. It's 185 founders from pre-seed to Series A. So pre-seed, seed, and Series A. And of course, when they say founder salaries, it has to be funded founders. There's just no, no bootstrappers not mentioned because that's not even a thing, right? That, I'm, a, I'm a little, you know, this gets my go, right? When I go <laughs> no, to Quora really? and search for really? startup founders, startup questions, and they're all about raising funding. But that aside, so I'm intrigued by this. The, it's, it's in pounds, you know, British pounds. So it's like the average pre-seed founder salary across UK, the rest of Europe, and North America. And the average salary for pre-seed company is 49,000 pounds. So that's about 65,000 US dollars. And then seed is just under 70,000 pounds. So we're looking at about 90,000 US dollars. And then series A, 106,000 pounds, which puts us at about 130, 640. I think all those numbers are, are too high, too high. but that's just because the dollar's been, uh, you know, slightly off because of the war <laughs> one point well it's like 1.3 right now i believe which That's has been like that, oh well wow. yeah. but wait you think those are high in e europe and uk because down below it starts breaking it down and you see the massive disparity it's like i'll yeah. just say i'm in pounds to not confuse everybody like pre-seed europe average is thirty-six thousand pounds north america average is seventy-three thousand, and UK is just under 50,000. So pretty big differences there. Einar, you grew up in Norway and often identify as European. What, what do you think about this whole, <laughs> what do you think about this, this whole discrepancy? I'm not surprised in the slightest, to be perfectly honest with you. I think a lot of, a lot part of this is partly because of the, the cost of living, you know, probably is probably higher in places like the UK than it is in uh, Poland or other parts of the EU. I think one, actually one of the most interesting parts is is actually not exactly what the difference is. And actually, oh, and also on top of that, I think you just generically salaries, particularly for developers, are, are different. So, you know, if you're a senior software engineer who work in the U.S., you're probably going to get paid more money than if you're a senior software engineer, you know, working in, in anywhere in Europe. I think that's true. So it's like the alternative to being a founder, I think, is a higher salary in the U.S. And so naturally that tends to pull up pull up salaries that people are willing to give themselves. I think if you think of this data, I was looking through it. I think one of the most interesting data points is like impacted the number of co-founders on salary. Did you see this piece? Like it basically says like, oh, the, the really weird thing is like at pre-seed, a single founder pays themselves more than, you know, two founders or three founders or more. But that then reverts at seed. Uh, I'm curious what you guys think think about that. that. That was probably the most interesting data point for me. I wasn't surprised about the U.S., you know, U.K. and Europe discrepancy as much. You have anything, Tracy? 
I'm distracted by the fact that this graph has a one column for five co-founders. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just like, I can't <laughs> stop staring at it. That's so many co-founders. So Rob, I'll, I'm going to get my brain in order. You start. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that's a, just a data anomaly. Cause it looks like by the time you get to series A, one founder, two founder. It's about the same. The big difference is like pre-seed to seed. And my theory is that I think if you're doing, if you, if you just raised a pre-seed round, I think with two founders or more, you're all like, oh, let's not spend two. You don't want to like, you know, really ask for the salary you think is fair because it's, you're on the team and like, versus maybe if you're just one of you, you're like, yeah, this is what I need. So I'm going to take it. What about the fact that we know from Tiny Seed is that, you know, generally VCs are like, oh, two founders or, or more. And so maybe, is there maybe a difference in terms of the amount of money you get at, at your seed round that would affect how you can pay your two co-founders as compared to how much money someone in a, a solo founder might get in their seed round? I don't know the valuations. I don't know if they vary based on founder count. I would like to see like how that kind of worked out because if, if companies with more than two co-founders receive more seed money than it stands a reason that they would be able to pay themselves more as compared to a solo founder. But I could be wrong too. I agree. I haven't heard of that. I mean, usually I think it's based on kind of market rates and metrics, you know, it's like you're growing this fast and this much MRR and it's kind of a, kind of a range, but I think it's the oh, accelerators are the only things I've heard of that vary it based on founder count. I mean, maybe when you have another co-founder, when you raise our seed round, you have another person to like, you kind of like bounce off each other. Like, cool, we raise money. We can raise our salaries and you just like kind of increase that number as compared to a solo founder who probably still has some, some amount of anxiety, which I say as a former solo founder, that's also probably not true, but in my head, I can see that situation happening. Yeah. I also liked another element of this is they had some quotes from people basically saying, look, if you're going to start a company like this, make it sustainable. Like don't pay yourself so little that you're not living, have, have a decent standard of living or that you're worried about cash. You know, there's that famous tweet from Rand Fishkin where he's running Moz and it's, they've raised tens of millions in venture and they're doing 40 million a year as a SaaS company. And he says, like, my net worth is $15,000 in cash in the bank. I think he had a rented apartment and my car and that's it. And his personal, and he was going to raise, they were going to raise another round. And he was like, should I take some secondary? Kind of like he felt guilty doing it. And people were like, you need to, you need to get some money out of this, you know, like at least feel comfortable. Even a few hundred thousand dollars can make you so much more comfortable. And not only, and I don't mean comfortable, like I'm going to go spend this lavishly, but it's like, if this all goes to shit, then at least I walk away with something and I'm not sweating it if I need to buy a new car or I need, you know, the last thing I want a founder worried about is personal expenses, as long as they're living within reasonable means. Our sponsor this week is Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Microsoft for Startups is on a mission to help all founders innovate and grow no matter their background, location, or progress. To this end, they've recently launched Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub, a platform that provides founders with free resources to help solve startup challenges. Members of the platform get a ton of benefits that can help founders build their startup faster from day one up to $150,000 in Azure credits, free development tools like GitHub, free Microsoft collaboration and productivity software like Teams and Outlook, offers from startup-friendly partners, and more. A strong and diverse network is critical to a startup's success. And so Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub is making this historically inaccessible resource open to all by providing members access to a mentor network as well as technical advisors. Members can book time with mentors to get expert feedback and advice on their product roadmap, business plan, fundraising approach, marketing plan, and more. 
The program is open to everyone, no matter your startup stage. And unlike other programs, there are no funding requirements. And the sign-up process takes less than five minutes. Learn more about Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub at aka.ms slash startups for the rest of us. That's aka.ms slash startups for the rest of us. All right, let's check out our next story. Title is The Clickbaity You're Using Email Wrong. And I picked this up on Hacker News. It's basically a short blog post. It's a three-minute read, it says at the top. And it says, you probably don't like email, but this the author of this post started using Hey and liked some of their concepts. And so he adapted them into his Fastmail account. And he talks about... His inbox is where all the emails sent by humans end up. Then he has a paper trail folder that is notifications, invoices, and everything you don't want to delete but are not really interested in. So he said it has about 1.6 thousand, 1,600 unread emails right now. They're not meant to be read, but he will look them up when he needs to. Then there's a news feed, which handles all the email newsletters that come in. And he does it by just being smart and thinking about it in advance, he has separate email addresses. Like, because you can say your name plus anything at gmail.com, right? And, and Google will forward it. And then you can easily just filter and label that. But you have to think about that when you sign up for things. See, I'm already signed up under all these accounts. So for me, I would have to like filter by sender or something and just every time I got one, loop it in. So I'm teeing this one up. This is like in volleyball. This is a bump and a set. And I am teeing this up to Tracy Osborne. I'm sitting over here bouncing, waiting for you to call me. <laughs> Process. Uh, this is not a new concept. This email, this, this article is so funny because this pops up like every year or so and goes higher on Acker News. I wrote an article very similar to this for Gmail like 10 years ago. Kind of want to pull that up and kind of compare and contrast it. You know, clickbaity headline aside, it's something that I believe really strongly in terms of like email process is the, the, the point of that your inbox should only be things you don't expect. And it makes, as this article says, it does make your inbox so much more of a joy to experience because you know everything in there is either going to be emails from, unexpected emails from other people, which is, you know, something that you usually want to click on. It's not newsletters. It's not spam. You know, ideally all those things are all like in a different area, in a different filter or something like that. And so you, when you come onto your computer and you see you have, say, 16 or so emails, it's a different feeling than if you think you come on and there's 120 emails and everything is all mixed up together. And this is something that I, I'm a process person. This is something that I don't think I would get through my day if my, my email wasn't organized in one way, shape or another. You can do this in Gmail, like doing that, that plus sign. But as Rob said, that's doing filtering based on the sender is something you can do in hindsight. And honestly, for anyone who has too many emails, you can, I would say just archive all and then start setting up those filters at that point. <laughs> Cause like, if you have thousands of things in your email, you're not going to see it anyway. So you might as well just archive it and be like, woohoo, I got to inbox zero. And then you can start setting up those filters for things that have already come in. And then you can use this, um, the plus sign trick for things that are future focused Overall, I want to say is that for people, like if there's any point where you're looking at your email and you have this like sense of dread to your email, I think it's totally worth spending 
half an hour to an hour of just cleaning things up and then setting it up so you don't have to have that dread anymore. I think I don't think it's worth it. So this article is great. I'm glad this is reminding. This is why Gmail has now the different inboxes too, because they're trying to force this on people without making them go through the effort of setting up those filters. But really the filter stuff is in Gmail is really great. Hey does this well. So yeah, you can use these tools that these people work on. If you're using Gmail, it's also simple. It just please, like it's, I, I don't understand people who have thousands upon thousands of emails, just archive them. <laughs> what do you think, NR? Do you have copious amounts of filters at Inbox Zero? I actually don't. I'm very much a Inbox Zero every day kind of guy. Yeah. So I have a very strong sense of despair when I open my emails uh, in the morning. Because <laughs> you know all the, but then you, you, you get more emails than I do. And that if you have, you probably know that most of those are ones you have to react to. So the weird thing for me is that that's pr true to a degree, but it's also like, you know, I'm very, I'm very harsh unsubscriber. I use one of these like unroll me or whatever, like I'm very quick to unroll. Problem I've been having at least, you know, since Tiny Seed, I think mostly, because now my email is in various official places. So like random people find them and like, I've been added to a lot more things that I'm like, never signed up for this <laughs> than has ever happened before in my life. So, so like I get a lot of pitches that I was like, they're, they're not spam, but they're also like kind of poorly researched cold out around. And that's probably, I probably wake up, I probably have 150 or 200 emails in my inbox. Do you respond to those pitches or do you? No, 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 no. It's like, well, in some cases they're right. I mean, it's the <laughs> law of, high, of, of big numbers, right? Occasionally there's a really perfect pitch for me, but uh, most of the time I just I just go through and I archive everything without responding. I actually, one of the things I've been wanting for, for a while actually is like an email that you can use for things where you know it's going to be compromised, but it's like a whitelist system. I want to be able to say like, okay, I know I have to put my email, I don't know, the secretary of state data, right? That's just kind of has to. But if I could put up like a special email address that's like, yeah, if you're not on my email list, you'll get a bounce back that says, mm -mm, you're not on my white list, please apply. If you think that's wrong. I think that's Hey does, right? Is it? Hey doesn't bounce it, but they... It is a whitelist, though. Yeah, the first time. I want it bouncing. I, I actually, I, I know you were telling me, Rob, that this is, is, is not possible because it breaks email protocol or something, but that's what I want. Because I want to be bounced out of all the cold email automation systems. Because that's what happens. If you get a hard bounce or even a soft bounce, that you get unsubscribed automatically. That's what I want for most of my email. I think it's like three soft bounces usually. But I, yeah, I don't know that it breaks email, but yeah, you would have to. It, it isn't in the spirit of how email is supposed to work, right? Yeah. I know that. It's very selfish, but that's what I want for some of my emails. <laughs> I kind of want that too, actually. No, okay, so I started blogging in 2005. Within a couple of years, I was on dozens of lists I didn't sign up for, being on the podcast, just tiny seed. So I get probably five new things a day that I didn't sign up for. That is not including cold pitches that I'm getting for not even companies. I get a few company stuff, but I get a lot of, I have this product, it'll be great for you, blah, 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 right? Just cold email outreach. And yeah, I unsubscribe a lot of it. And I do a lot of hand filtering, unfortunately. But the system that I use is I have an two labels in Gmail. One is underscore this week and one is underscore updates. And so all of the inv investor updates that I get, I think I get about 
80, maybe even north of 80 a month, 80 or 90 a month, they go directly into underscore updates. And then once a week, I have an hour on my calendar where I sit and I go through as many as I can get through. And I just do that every week. And I'm never caught up, but it's fine. I'm never too far behind. And I have the same thing for this underscore this week, although that is a manual filtering process. So right now in my inbox, anything that's there is important and I need to respond to it soon. If if it can wait until this Thursday, then that, you know, I have an hour that is all my this week email. So it's just a, pri- a way that I prioritize stuff. Um, oftentimes that's like my family emailing and asking for something, or there's a Kickstarter thing that I need to go fill out or need to figure out which rewards I want to get. You know, it's just like, again, it's just lower priority. It isn't a blocker for anyone that I'm working with and doesn't need to get done ASAP like everything else. I have something similar, but it's more generic. Like I said, because one of the main things I have is like, there's things that you got to do that, but it's just admin, you know, and it's a pain in the ass and it disrupts flow and it's like, whatever. And I just give myself the permission that like, I have two hours on a Monday where I'm just do admin shit. It's just blocked off just to do admin crap. And I know anything that's admin, you got to fill in this thing or pay this taxes or your 401k, something, something. I'm like, great, let's not worry about it now. Like, let's do it at admin time, basically. Do either of you use keyboard shortcuts for going through your email or is it mouse? No. God, it's so good. Yeah, I use keyboard shortcuts. Absolutely. It's just like, boom, archive, archive, archive. I've never used keyboard <laughs> shortcuts ever. <laughs> ever, no. I don't, I don't use it for anything. I don't use it for coding when I was coding. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, as a designer, I remember being in my beginning design classes using Photoshop, and the people who are teaching Photoshop were like, learn the keyboard shortcuts. And I remember being like, no, I don't want to use keyboard shortcuts. And here I am uh, so many years later from university. And keyboard shortcuts for Photoshop, keyboard shortcuts for, especially for Gmail. I mean, just knowing the archive one and the next email one means it's so much easier to kind of fly through that initial trunk of emails that are in your inbox. I do all my email processing on my phone. That's my problem. A lot Fast on the phone. I will open it up first. First run through, is it? Because it's just left swipe, left swipe, left swipe. See, I delete emails. I delete a lot of emails. I don't need to delete anything. Yeah, because I don't want all the when I search. I just don't want a bunch of. There's there are things that just should not be that should be deleted. I don't delete email threads, but there it's like a notification from Airtable that like the editor finished the podcast. But then when I search for a thing, then I get like thousands of results, and that's a pain in the butt. If only, if only someone would build me the product that I really want, which is a, a SQL connector so I can do SQL queries across my most important database, which is my email. But nobody, nobody seems to be doing that. You want that everywhere, yes. You want it in email, yes. you want it in every table we've ever used at Tiny C. They see- would sell one license. You would be the one customer. I don't this, believe you that. You have to build a whole Come business on. on you. Come no on. one else would do that. Are you telling me people <laughs> don't want to write SQL queries against their email? That's ludicrous, Rob. Come on. Nope. I have zero desire. I will fund. I will fund this startup. Oh boy! Out of your own, I, I will veto that. You will do it out of your own pocket. No tiny seed funds will go towards that. Uh, but if someone wants to build a submittable competitor, <laughs> yes, that's a whole that's tangent. That's totally fine. Yeah, I mean, submittable is not great, and we have looked at every alternative that does all the things we need. And we have not found anything that works to... It's turning into a request for startup. It what else is, do we yeah. want building in this world? <laughs> I just want more startups, actually. I do wonder whether we should start, like, whether we should start... You know, there's these accelerators. Now, it goes completely against Tiny Seed. But, like, there's these accelerators now which are like, you can apply with that an idea. I think mm-hmm. YC tried that. Just back the founder. Yeah, mm-hmm. just like, you seem yeah, smart. Do it. one of these things. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it's kind of like entrepreneur in residence, right? Kind of. 
Yeah, just... yeah, the the VC funds one, but that's typically like mm-hmm. I already succeeded in some way, shape, or form, and right. now I get to. You know, I'm already a success. I'm, also I'm obviously going to be a success again. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's head to our next story. Twitter makes it hard to choose the old reverse chronological feed. This oh is God. on TheVerge.com. And subheading, you won't be able to default to the chronological timeline. Do you get, I, I don't know, I just got sucked into the algorithm. Like, I have, didn't even know you could go back to the reverse chrono. It, do you go? Reverse chrono is the only way. The only way that I rush. Yeah, and it's a complete pain. And not only and Twitter that, Twitter doesn't want you to use up. it. <laughs> They put on the Twitter on the Twitter iPhone app now. They they put like these two tabs, right? Which is bad enough in itself. For me, the the latest, the one that I use, doesn't even load any tweets. So I'm forced to look at the whatever optimized algorithm thing they're doing. And then on top of that, whomever did the design didn't manage to figure out that like they've added a nav bar, but it now hides the top part of the topmost tweet. I'm like, does nobody use this app over is there? It the what iOS, are you guys spending all your money app? on? I mean, the, the, the team that is uh, implementing the KPIs of trying to get people like sucked into Twitter and clicking on their ads and whatnot is definitely a different team than the people it who sucks. work on the user experience stuff. It's awful. It is sucks. Like, Twitter is dead to me. Whoa. I'll just say that. Like, I'm, I'm completely Whoa, over yeah. at this point. Over it's just it. really annoying because I know. <laughs> oh, wow. Don't be <laughs> I mean, crazy here. Okay. This, I still spend hours a day on it to arguing and things. Come on. <laughs> what else would I do with my time? <laughs> Oh, baseball's back. Yeah. Did you hear that the lockout ended oh yesterday? Good this times. Good times. April yeah, 8th, I'm, kickoff. This do, is do, where we do, all stop following in our set on Twitter. <laughs> uh. April 8th, baby. Come on. In my my opinion, the dream of Twitter is over, at least the dream of people who used it more you know, than five or so years ago back in its previous iteration. In the old days. In the old days. It is a different product now. <laughs> and so like when I see things like this, on the verge where it's like, ah, they keep moving forward into this other direction. This other direction is where Twitter is and will be and will never change. And so like people being loud about losing chronological tweets is why Twitter has been forced to continue to have some way for people to access that list. But obviously they're trying to make it harder and harder and harder until people just like give up like I, like I am and then move on to a different product. I'm not, I'm being very negative here, but I'm just, this is something in the last month or so ago, it's just been, That's it's just fair. like the dream of Twitter is over of and I want another thing. If you wanted to use it to see your friends updates, this is not the product for it anymore. The Twitter has evolved to a different product. That's not what Twitter's for. for tw- that's never what Twitter's been for me. Twitter's always been where I pick random fights with people who like like me like to argue on the internet. I mean, what what are we what what are you talking about? Friends I mean, Twitter Twitter updates. loves that. Look at all the engagement you're giving them. I <laughs> uh, know. So what what I mean, is I'm the way, tool then, Tracy? Here's that request. Friend fees. I'm. I, no, there needs to be Instagram. another thing. Friend feed. No, that was friend feed. That's what it was before they got acquired oh by Facebook. The next thing came out, it's TikTok. That's the direction That's right. it's headed. It's TikTok. not going, not going I, yeah, in the direction I'm that not, you're thinking. No, I agree. It's that TikTok has kind of replaced that that early Twitter, like just talking to other people. I have refused to download TikTok, but I use Instagram instead for friend stuff. Uh, we should just start I'm doing still tiny seed marketing yeah. on TikTok and make Tracy head of it, I think, maybe. Yes, that would be great. Oh, and I can do the little dances that I see like a cross yeah. post. Yes, over to exactly. Yeah, that'd be the great. Dances. <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna confess here something I've never told the two of you, and since it's just since it's just the three of us, uh, you've never no actually followed us. No. I know I'm definitely following you. <laughs> it is probably once a week at most that I actually hit the home like my feed on Twitter. I. 
Oh, same. I look, <laughs> I look at mentions and all, like the notifications of people liking things and then reply. And then I tweet things out that I'm thinking about or that I, you know, whatever. I, today I was asking about, aside from Steli Efti or in addition to Steli Efti, like who's someone, you know, that's creating great sales content. So I do stuff like that. But the home feed, just that, what is it? The news feed is that's what they call it on Facebook. I just don't find anything there. I like ever. It's not interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many people do you follow on Twitter? I'm, I'm curious. 300, 200, 200? I, see, I follow a thousand people and it's, uh, I think it's too much. I'm thinking about maybe declaring Twitter bankruptcy, deleting all my followers and start again. Yeah. I'm actually in the process of doing that. Like for ever since I came back from vacation, I've been slowly deleting people because I would jump on and I'd be like, ugh. and I realized I was following too many VC people, like mm. way too many VC people. <laughs> These Robin and our guys, such assholes. It is like just like constantly like doing these like thought leadership kind of performative oh, tweets, yeah. and I would go on to it. But that's where like, you got to ah. mute. You got to mute the word a thread or like the thread symbol. That'll make your Twitter experience. No wonder you don't see anything I, I do on Twitter uh, for Tiny this Seed. Is the best. Oh, I don't. Wait, we do threads. <laughs> We do do threads, yes. <laughs> I'm only For kidding. every I, article we've ever released, we have a thread version of it. <laughs> I know that's Tracy. why he doesn't see it. I retweet him. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing. It's like I use Twitter for Tiny Seed, and it does, like, that thought leadership thing is what, okay, it works for Tiny Seed, and we have a lot of, I think, clout on Twitter through the Tiny Seed Fund account. My personal account, though, is just... And before you say anything about me losing the fact that I was verified before and now I'm not, this is not related to that. <laughs> hey, were you verified, Tracy? <laughs> but it's it's just it's a different product now, and so I see things like this on the verge. Where it's like, oh, it's it's wow, Twitter is really focusing on these other KPIs. I'm like, yeah, no duh, like. <laughs> They've been doing that and kind of breaking the product ever since. Mm-hmm. And uh, but at least you didn't delete all your tweets by accident, right? You have a surprising still. You have a lot of tweets. I went on it. I don't know if it was cached, but I found ones that are quite old. So I was wondering if you got some of them back. Mm-mm. Mm. No, Anar doesn't listen to the Weird. podcast. I, I told him on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I don't listen to your podcast. <laughs> oh my god! You release a podcast every week. That's right. Every week, I spend. I, have, I don't have time. Oh yes, I, you do. I, I, I don't have time for that because I'm, I have to get. I have to go into my inbox and get the inbox zero, don't and I need to check too, Twitter for who's to argue with. He's too busy finding people on Twitter. Don't listen to your podcast. That's right. And you can. This That's episode right. is off the rails. Holy <laughs> mother! Everyone has. This is the best out. episode <laughs> so far. Oh, we would we will lose all our listeners if we have more episodes like this. All right, get to I, know how it is like at Tiny Seed by listening to this episode. This is what this is kind of like a weekly update meeting, except we're missing Alex and Xander. So. With that, I think we will wrap for the day. I think we've hopefully <laughs> given the he's people kill it now. what they want. Oh, no. if, do you, you guys have stuff you want to chat about? Let's do it. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, let's see. Baseball, yep. Ukraine oh, war, maybe. Is... Although Ukraine war, there is something interesting there about because I've seen that is actually, I think, applicable to a lot of the tiny seed type startups and, and, and bootstrappers and stuff is the challenge now because so many people have developers in the Ukraine and particularly in Russia who's like, how do you get those people money? Like, obviously, there's like the people, you know, in the actual war zone and things, but even people in like, you know, far away from the front line, how do you get them? Like Upwork is closing. They're terminating all Belarusian and Russian contracts by the end of, I think, this month or sometime next month. And it's like, how do you how do you get money to people? I, I think across the board, that's that's going to be a problem, you know, particularly as sanctions tighten further. Crypto. See, that doesn't work either, because like the, the problem is like you got How do you get money to to them? Like in like Coinbase shut down yeah. all the crypto wallets out of Russia, so you can't send them. People can't cash right. out. 
So then, like, you can right, trade. That's the problem. They can have a bunch of crypto, yeah, but no money. So, like, the yeah. longer right. it lasts, so it's... there's money. Yeah, the only thing I've seen still works, I think, is deal, which is interesting because that's the one we the, the rickroll at the start of the show. But other than that, I think if, if that starts to become a problem, I, I don't know what's going to happen. There's so, so many startups, so many startups have teams in Russia or Ukraine, at least partially. Yep. Yeah, and we have a few tiny seed founders in Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, obviously our hearts go out to everyone there. Yeah, reading our the updates recently has been really rough because it seems like every update we've been getting from a portfolio company, they have people in Ukraine or Russia, or they are you know developer teams and develop people on their team in those those areas. It's been rough. Yeah. So our thoughts go out to all the folks there, obviously, and no easy answers on the payment. I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. This is this is why this is such a such a mess. Yeah. So. D-E-E-L.com, I guess, if you want to check out the uh, potential Rickroll. And if you want to hear about arguing and the San Francisco Giants, follow Anar Volset on Twitter. We'll put his Twitter handle in the show notes. And of course, Tracy Makes is Tracy Osborne's handle. Thanks to the two of you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me again today. I am at Rob Walling on Twitter if you want to connect. And obviously, if you're not subscribed to this show and you enjoyed this episode, you should subscribe. Check us out every week. Been shipping episodes since 2010 and hope to continue doing it for at least another decade or two. And I'll be back in your ears again next Tuesday morning. <laughs>